Hallelujah. Everybody standing for the reading of the word. Thank you, worship team. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. God receive all praise and worship. I want to show you a little illustration, and uh, then we're going to refer to something I want to tell you uh, before the sermon about Purim this week. But um, the Holy Spirit lit upon Jesus. How many have ever watched a dove? It was in the form of a dove, and you've, you've watched a dove. How many understand they're a very skittish creature? You can't hardly sneak up on a dove. You can't make sudden movements or sounds. I was watching doves this week and thinking about that. And say that dove lands on your shoulder, and how many know we're supposed to be carriers of the Holy Spirit, right? There are times that we get demonstrative in our worship, but then there are times to be gently quiet before the Lord. When that dove settles down, any loud movement, and he's gone. I mean, I, I just watched the dove this week, and I made a movement, and it was gone. And there are times that we have to court the presence of the Holy Spirit by just being still and just listening. Amen? And knowing that we want his presence and we want his help. Well, that dove didn't make it. Amen. Hallelujah. This Thursday night at sundown, Purim begins. And that is a very important festival in all of Israel. Israel will acknowledge Purim. Because in the Persian kingdom, nine million people were set to be exterminated by the wicked King Haman. But God had called someone to the kingdom for such an hour as that, Queen Esther. How many believe that God's called you to the kingdom for this hour? God's appointed you for this hour. You're not here by accident. We're not here by accident. We've been called to the kingdom for such an hour as this. God allowed us to live in this hour of human history. And so Esther is given permission to write a decree to the saving of all her people throughout Israel, or throughout uh, the Persian kingdom. And her decree was signed by the king. I want you to know that as kings and priests unto the Lord, and as those called to the kingdom for such an hour, you might just sit down this week and write out some decrees. Amen. Write out some things. We did this, I did this, on Purim 2016. And I'd just like to read to you some of what I wrote a few years ago. Because there has been a handwriting of ordinances against God's people that we have been subjected to the tyranny of the enemy. He has lied about us, written false documents against us. Rebellion has been set in order against us. Be it therefore resolved under the authority of the King of Kings, Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, that we renounce and declare all of the lies of the devil against us to be null and void. Amen. Esther wrote a decree, and it was signed by the king, and it went through the 127 provinces, and 9 million Jews were saved because she wrote a writing. 
Maybe you need to write some things, decree some things this week, amen? What the devil has attempted to do shall be turned around and God will restore double, double for all the trouble that we've been through. You will hear the sounds of divine alignment. Everything that has been falsely stated is hereby canceled. And those who have listened are having their eyes open to truth. Those who have come against you one way are going to flee seven ways. The devil has said no, but God says yes. The devil's lies against God's people shall cease and you shall possess the things of those that have tried to suppress you and destroy you. Missed opportunities are going to become God moments in God's timings and God's plans for your life are going to succeed. Well, that's just a portion of something I wrote a couple of years ago. Amen. But you ought to write some things and decree some things this week if you're called to the kingdom for this hour. Amen. All right, everybody open your Bibles to Isaiah 6. Isaiah 6. Once again, don't miss the service tonight at 6 o'clock and don't miss Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, the business meeting. All the departments will be in regular times of meeting at 7.30, but that 30 minutes of voting is important. And uh, here in the sanctuary, we'll finish up some business and I'm preaching Wednesday night. Go forward. Amen. Go forward. All right, Isaiah chapter 6, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord seated upon a throne. He was high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. Now, this is a different type of angelic being. They have three sets of wings, and with twain he covered his face. With two he covered his feet. With two he did fly. And one cried unto the other, holy. Look at the worship that's going. This is the temple. This is in the courtroom of heaven. If you've ever wanted to know what temple worship is really like, all right, we have it right here. The angelic beings are flying around. Holy, holy, holy. We might ought to just uh, pick up where they're at right now because that's the page they're on. So why don't we say holy, holy. Holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Look at what's happening, verse 4. In the temple, there's so much volume and noise that the posts of the door are moved at the voice of him that is crying, and the house is filled with smoke. Look at the response on earth. Then said I, Isaiah realized when he saw heaven and he saw God, he said, woe is me. I am undone. I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. Mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. You may be seated. I want to talk to you about our concept of God. An individual's view of God has a profound influence on the direction of his life. Most people order their lives and live their lives according to their concept of God, their view of God. A lot of people want a religion that will allow them to live any way they want to choose, and they want a God that will allow that. And we're all impacted by leaders who have false concepts, false views of God, and that impacts our lives. Isaiah's life was changed. As he caught fresh revelation of who God is, 
and what God was wanting. Isaiah was a major Old Testament prophet. After the death of Solomon in 930 BC, BC, the kingdom divided. And you had the northern kingdom, which was Israel with 10 tribes, and the southern kingdom with two tribes, which was Judah. And Isaiah is called to be a prophet. Both kingdoms fell by the wayside in a few hundred years. The northern kingdom fell after their division 200 years, two centuries later. The southern kingdom a little over 300 years or three centuries later. But they both, the northern kingdom was taken over by Assyria. The southern kingdom, we know, all know the story of King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, takes them into captivity. But prophets before this fall was sent to the land to preach righteousness and preach turning to God that the nation had forsaken God and turned to the worship of idols. And Isaiah comes along and he has this encounter with God and he reminds the people that their sin would bring judgment. But if they would repent, God would bring forgiveness. How many are thankful that God forgives sin? I, I'm going to say that one more time. How many are thankful that God forgave your sin? Wow. Today we stand as the righteousness of God in Christ because of what Jesus did in forgiving our sins and removing our sins. Isaiah experiences a vision of God that became life-changing. The vision brought about effective service because of a right relationship with God. A.W. Tozer, a great Christian writer, said that no one ever lives above their concept of God. Your concept of God will determine how you live this life and your relationship with your fellow man. And no man ever lives above his concept of God. And what God is about to do is help, is help Isaiah have a fresh encounter. I'm praying that we get a fresh encounter with God today. Amen? Hallelujah. So let's look at verse 1. Isaiah is having this vision in the year that King Uzziah dies. Now watch this closely. This is a year of grave political turmoil. The kingdom is in upheaval. Uzziah has gone into the priest's office. I want everybody to listen very carefully. He has gone into the priest's office and he burned incense. He touched something as the king he should have never touched. I want to say to everyone cautiously and with great fear and reverence for the things of God, there are things that we should never touch. I'll thank you for about 50 amens and three grunts. There are things that we should never touch. There are things that belong to God. There are people you should leave to God there's a lot in social media and people criticizing this, that, and other. You will never hear pastor or see pastor touching other ministries or other pastors. They're the anointed of the Lord. Oh, but pastor, what if they do this or that? I'm going to tell you, you better leave them to God. I'll never be guilty of touching the Lord's anointed. God deals with his servants. God knows how to deal with his servants. And the last thing we want to do is touch anything. Uzziah goes into the priest's office and he burns incense and God smites him with leprosy and he dies. And it leaves the kingdom in great political upheaval. Great political uh, uh, difference and, and, and challenge. And it says in that year, 
God had a solution. Didn't point to a new king that was arising. He pointed to a new concept of God. He pointed to a new vision of who God is. I'm telling you, the church in this hour needs a new revelation of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The church needs a fresh revelation of our God and who our God is. Amen? In a, in a year, in a time frame of great political unrest, I'm telling you, I've got good news, and it's the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Verse 1, it says, In that year, Isaiah sees the Lord seated upon a throne. That throne represents authority. That throne represents who he was in supremacy, that there's none like unto our God. And it says that throne is high and lifted up. He didn't see other thrones. He only saw one throne. You need to have a picture of God, not other gods, not many gods, not a plurality of gods. We need to see our God high and lifted up and exalted. He needs to be that way in our personal lives. He needs to be that way in our church, amen, and in our nation, that we have one God and we lift him up on high. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Verse 1, it says, this throne was high and lifted up above all other thrones, Royal thrones typically had numerous steps leading up to them. And Isaiah sees this throne exalted and high. It says his train or his royal robe literally filled the temple, denoting the majesty and the grandeur. I just want to remind us all, friends, all of the grandeur and all of the majesty that we see in creation only points to one thing, that there's a great God that's much more great and, and of grandeur and of majesty than his creation. Those are just the works of his hands. Amen. Can you imagine what heaven depicts of the grand uh, majesty of our God? And we ought to worship him for who he is. Amen. Verse 1, his posture is he's seated, meaning he's in control. God's not worried. Why should you worry? If your God's not worried, why should we worry? But we were, ten, we're natural people and we tend to that, but we have to remind ourselves. God's, I love that song when we sing it. Amen. God's not worried. Why should I worry? God's not worried. Why should we fret? Amen. He's seated in control. Even when Stephen sees heaven pulled back and the heavens rended, and he sees into the courtroom of heaven, into the holy of holies. He sees Jesus seated, but then Jesus gets up. There are some things that the Lord's going to get up about. Amen. Hallelujah. But Isaiah sees his posture. Then he sees the seraphims, these angelic beings. In verse 2, they have three pairs of wings, wings to cover their feet, wings to cover their face. There needs to be more humility in the presence of the Lord. Oh, wow, I didn't even get one amen there. There needs to be more humility in the presence of the Lord. The angels cover their face. You can't walk in there with your bold cockiness. Oh, hallelujah. With your attitude, you come in there. Yes, we're the righteousness of God in Christ. And I have access into the presence of God. But I'll never forget, it's all by the blood of Jesus. It's all because of what he's done. Amen. Hallelujah. 
And so he sees the seraphims there, and they're crying, holy, holy. Verse 4, the posts of the door are shaking at the sound that is filling the house and the smoke that is filling the house. And in verse 5, Isaiah sees himself in the light of the presence of God, and he says, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. If we will get a correct view of God in this hour, we will understand the severity of the times in which we live and the sinfulness and the plight of mankind. We'll never lose sight of the fact what motivated Jesus. He came to seek and save the lost. They were on his heart. That's why, that's why we do what we did yesterday. That's why we do missions local to global is because men are lost and they need the gospel of Jesus and Isaiah sees himself and an angel flies with a coal from off of the altar of God and touches his lips and says your sin is now purged it was symbolism uh, reminding us of what Jesus would do that the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all of our sin so that we can raise our hands in worship and know that all of our past is behind us and we stand clean because of what he has done in our life. Somebody needs to shout an amen right there. Verse 5, he says, Mine eyes have seen the Lord of hosts. Verse 6 and 7, he touches him and his sin is taken away. But verse 8, I want to point out very quickly, God says, Who will go for me? You know why? I believe many people fail in their response to God is because they don't have a correct concept of God. When you have a correct concept and view of God, your proper response is going to be Isaiah's response. What can I do? Where will you send me? Where do you need me to go? Amen? This was Isaiah's response. And he says, here am I, send me. That was Isaiah's encounter with God. William Seymour was a man in 1906 that was a revivalist. And as a man growing up in a very politically charged environment, in a racially difficult hour, William Seymour had an encounter with God. And William Seymour became a great revivalist that the revival of the Azusa Street touched the nation and the world. All of us today, every Pentecostal denomination takes its roots from the Azusa Street revival. But there was a man behind that revival that had had an encounter with God. I'm showing you how Isaiah had an encounter with God, but then bringing that down to the generations where we live, there was a man named William Seymour that had an encounter with God. And I want you to watch about his vision and his encounter. There are those in life that look set out to succeed, practically, socially, culturally, financially. William J. Seymour was not one of those people. In fact, for him, it seemed like the very opposite. Son of a slave, blind in one eye, a young black man living in an intense racist environment, life didn't look like it was in his favor. Yet God used him and he became one of the most influential African-American Christian leaders of his time, and his impact can still be felt today. Seymour was born on the 2nd of May, 1870, in Louisiana, and his parents, Simon and Phyllis, were both recently freed slaves. Not much is known of his younger years, but later he escaped the harsh prejudice of Louisiana to live in Cincinnati. However, there he suffered a bout of smallpox, and the attack caused him to lose his left eye. 
Amazingly, his recovery from the potentially fatal illness actually compelled him to become a preacher. He grew an unwavering fascination to experience the Holy Spirit. He was hungry for finding truth and had a passion to share it, both of which fueled his travels to a great number of different cities. Seymour soon had a desire to become a student at a Bible school in Texas and sought to join the classes. But because segregation was still happening, they would not provide him with a seat in the class. Instead, he was only allowed to listen through an open door or window. His attendance did not last very long as he grew sick of the racism. He believed that racial integration in worship was the true heart of Christ. However, from the teaching he did here, he realized the power that was the Holy Spirit and what it meant for him. Seymour was led to move to Los Angeles, where he wasted no time in making his presence felt. A kind couple called Mr. and Mrs. Asbury offered to host some gatherings in their home where Seymour could preach and pray. And on April the 9th, 1906, God began doing something in the hearts of people that was wild and real, and it continued for three nights. As excitement increased about these events taking place, more and more people came to witness the meetings, and the Asbury home quickly became too small to accommodate the services. So, Seymour moved the congregation into an unused church building on Azusa Street, which was, at the time, being used as a warehouse. The congregation, made up of people of all races, cleaned out the building and then filled the interior with makeshift furnishings. The pulpit was made of two boxes nailed together, and the seats made from planks nailed to empty barrels. Seymour made his home on the floor above the church and began holding services three times a day, seven days a week. A diverse array of volunteers helped assist the gatherings, black and white, men and women. It gained national attention as the Azusa Street Revival and was a huge catalyst for the expansion of the Pentecostal movement across the world. The Azusa Street Revival was always filled beyond capacity as it attracted more than a thousand people a day and had a reputation for wild scenes of passion and prayer. People were amazed that Seymour, from his unlikely and humble beginnings, had realized his vision of a completely integrated church community alive with the Spirit of God. Come on, let's celebrate William Seymour. Amen. He was a revivalist. A number of things coming out of that revival. It lasted eight years from 1906 to 1915. It had a worldwide impact. And they said in many of the services and reminded the people that it is the blood of Jesus that washes away the color line. And he would always admonish the people, when you leave here, don't talk about manifestations, talk about Jesus. Talk about Jesus. Come on, somebody say amen. Always with their offerings, he reminded people, you need to settle up with God. And I want to remind you as your pastor, you need to settle up with God. Amen? Well, William Seymour had a vision of God, and it changed his life. Isaiah had a vision of God, and it changed his life. I want to talk to us about our vision, our personal encounter, because every one of us need a burning bush experience. Every one of us need a time when we get along with God and God reveals himself and becomes very personal. And we hear him saying to us, who's going to go for me? Who can I send? Who's going to carry the banner in this hour? Be the light and be the salt. My friends, there's a world to reach out there. Amen. Well, there's a world to reach as they come to this campus. And there's serving to be done here. 
And uh, prior to the pandemic, we had the largest number of people involved in serving that we had had in, in many years. And, and God was doing something incredible. And it's time to stir up the gifts back in this church. Amen. And I want James Price to come, who is our director of our eConnect. And I want to introduce James publicly to this congregation. And I want us to give him a hand as he comes right now. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. Come on. How you doing, James? 20-something years, huh? We've, we've known uh, James for over 20 years, and uh, I've watched him work, and I've watched him minister, and I've watched him uh, lead eConnect teams and, and put together plans to make people feel special when they get here, and welcome. Yes, thank you. Thank you. It's a blessing. Let me say this first before I go any further. I met Pastor Gary and Miss Kim and, and Pastor Cecil when they were serving the city. You guys don't see it, but this man in this ministry in this house serves a whole lot of people other than what's in here. All over this city, all over this state, all over this country, you don't see it, but what he's preaching, he does it. I've seen it, amen? I like when you do that. <laughs> so, uh, we feel that ministry on campus begins in the parking lot. When people drive up, last Sunday, Pastor Jordan, between services, before he preached in this service and after he preached the second, first service, he's out serving in the parking lot, helping a mother with several children that couldn't get in and having trouble and helping her get checked in and go through that process, learn that. And uh, that should become culture because when people come and they have challenges, it affects their worship. Right, I've always said this. First of all, if I, I'll do it first. I'll do it first. I'll do it first. And I've been in a parking lot. The parking lot is called the directors of first impression. Because if it ain't together out there, it's not together in here. And then it takes effect on people. And there's another scripture that I was reading this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. It says, God will use the foolish things of the world to humble those who think they're smart. I'm one of them foolish things in the world. Some of you are some of the foolish things in the world. And I just know that, you know, I've shared with Pastor, I shared this in the first service. There may, people may not get, come to know the Lord through church, through a prayer, through, through a, a pastor. They may come to know the Lord through you at your job, through you in your neighborhood, at your homes, around some friends, at a little league field. They may come to know God. And that's how you serve. And you continue to serve. And the Lord dealt with me years ago when people went out of their way to ask me to serve. And now I'm serving and God will say to me, now how can you sit back and not ask people to come and serve? And I'll tell you what, when you come to serve, it changes you. You think you're doing something for God, it changes you, amen? The serve begins with all of us finding our place of ministry and doing something for the Lord and helping people. God's sending a lot of people into evangel in this hour. And we've got to be here to serve them and help their worship experience, help their encounter with God. But it starts out in the parking lot and the greeters at the doors and just all that is going on, the ushering and ministry of security and just right on through the entire church fellowship. We want you to find your place of service. And uh, James led this in, in a large ministry for many years. And, and uh, I was invited to that ministry at different times. And and one time I drove up in the parking lot and the first person I encountered said, Pastor Wiggins. And I said, how do you know that? 
They said James made sure everybody has on their phone a picture of you. And uh, I told the church, you owe me some money. If you help me, you get a cut of it. So they had his picture. <laughs> but from the get-go, every person that came up felt like they were a VIP. And they were having a powerful encounter getting into the services and getting connected and getting involved. And friends, we want to see Evangel go to the next level. And it's time for that. How many believe it's time? We've got a world to reach. We're going to have one of the, it's going to be crazy around here Easter. The week after our major park opportunity, we're going into all these parks and James was out there working yesterday at the Argyle Association. I'm telling you, People are coming because we, we went out yesterday. We showed them love. We, we redid their fields and everything. And uh, they're going to come to church on Easter Sunday. After what happens on March 27th, people are going to want to be in the house of God on Easter Sunday. It's, it is so powerful what we got planned. And uh, we've got to be here to serve. We've got to be here to help people encounter. And I, I wanted to bring James up so that you can connect uh, with him and, and, and get connected with your place of serve because Evangel's got to go to the next level. There's a lot of people in this city. We advertise it quite often. There are 700,000 people in this city not connected to a church at all. 700,000. That was prior to the pandemic. I'm not sure where that number is today. But I know that there's a lot of people that need Jesus in this city. And uh, God wants to use this church fellowship. And I want us to thank James for his uh, ministry gifts that he's bringing to Can I let him know the March 7th? Yes. On March 7th, after this service, we will have a luncheon right in the lodge, which is right across the street. If you're interested in serving, we'd love you to come. And I also want to say, for those of you who are already serving, we just thank you. I thank you. I thank you for serving the people. And I was talking to my brother Gino over here who's in security. Because there's security, there's some things that we don't see because they're here. Amen? And so I just want to thank you all for serving, and I hope to get a chance to meet you and see you next week. Amen? Come on, Amen. let's give the Lord a hand. Amen. 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 I want the worship team to come. And every head bowed and every eye closed. And I want to ask you, as I did in the early service, do you know Jesus? Have you had a vision of the Lord upon the cross, dying for your sins, to remove your sins? If you're here this morning and you've never accepted Christ, maybe you're here this morning and you've, you've wondered. I have been alarmed as a pastor and alarmed spiritually of the numbers of people who backslid last year and grew cold in their relationship with the Lord. I've been alarmed. That one year should have fired everyone up. That one year should have fired everyone up that there's some, I, I, it was in my devotions this morning about end time events. Pandemics was one of those. I do believe Jesus is coming soon. And with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you know you need a closer walk with Christ, I want you to lift your hand for prayer. All across this room, if you know you need, God bless you. What about it, sir? What about it, mom? Up in the balconies, the galleries. Uh, God bless you under the balcony. Yes, I see your hand. I see your hand. Both of you. Amen. I want everybody to stand all across this room.
if you know you need to be closer to Christ, if you've never given your life to Christ, or maybe you're a backslider, or you've just become lukewarm, I really believe there's a lot of lukewarm Christians in this hour, and we're called to stir up the gift of God in them. Not condemn them, but I'm going to stir them up into vibrant faith. If you know you need to be at this altar, I want you to move from where you're standing right now. Up in the balconies. Come. I want you to come. If you're not where you ought to be with Christ, you know you need a closer walk with Christ, I want you to come to the front right now from where you are. Those that lifted their hands. Come on. God bless you, man. God bless you. Amen. Come on. Come on. What about it? If Jesus were to come today... If Jesus were to come today, do you know that you would make heaven your home? There's others that need to come. There's some young people that need to come. Come on. Come on. Mama, Dad, Dad, you know what you can give your family that would be one of the greatest things? Would be a man that loves Jesus. God bless you, sir. God bless you, man. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Hallelujah. God bless you, ladies. God bless you. Come on, mama. Come on. Come on. Come on over here. Come on. Hallelujah. Come on. There's others that need to come. Come on. Let's give Jesus a praise right now. Let's just stop. Come on. Hallelujah. You need to be at this altar. We need some prayer partners down here. Some of our ministers and pastors. There's still somebody else that needs to come. I just believe there's a man that God knows that deep down in your heart, things are not where they ought to be. God bless these young girls that are coming. Amen. Hallelujah. Maybe you need to look at a friend that you're standing near and say, I'll walk with you. I'll walk with you. Come on. What about it? I'm not going to belabor this more than about another minute. But I believe there's somebody that needs to come right now. You need to come. In the name of Jesus, you need to come. Hallelujah. I want everyone to, they're going to pray with these, but I want everyone to pray this prayer. Everyone online. Dear Jesus. I believe you're the Son of God. Come on, everyone pray. You came to save me from myself. I ask you to come into my life. Forgive me of all my sins. Cleanse me from all my past. You said in your word, if I would confess my sins, you are faithful and just to forgive them. I receive your forgiveness by faith. I thank you that my name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Thank you that I have the knowledge that I'm headed to heaven. With your help, I will live and serve you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Come on, let's give a shout to the Lord. Hallelujah. Come on, let's sing that song. Everyone sing this. Come on, sing this. Come on, lift your hands. Lift your hands.
this room, everyone online that needs healing right now. Father, in Jesus' name, let the healing virtue of Christ flow through every life. We rebuke sickness. We rebuke the spirit of infirmity. We rebuke the power of the enemy to bring sickness and disease by the name of Jesus and by the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus is against every form of sickness, every form of infirmity. Jesus, your back was wounded. Your back was striped. And every one of those 39 stripes yielded up blood. And I'm claiming that that is efficacious blood, powerful blood. That that blood, by his stripes, people are being set free right now. In the name of Jesus, across this sanctuary and online, in the name of Jesus, healing flow to the people of the Lord. In Jesus' name. I want to read the ironic blessing, and then we'll dismiss you. And from the bottom of my heart, I'm asking you to work. I challenge you to do your best to be back tonight. We want to share God's report tonight with you. Pastor Jordan will preach. It'll be a powerful service. We'll go right out and celebrate, but we've got some things to give God the glory over. And then the business meeting at promptly at 7 o'clock on Wednesday night, and then all the departments will be meeting at 7.30. And the Lord spake unto Moses. Would you lift your hands? Speak to Aaron, the high priest, and to his sons who are priests with you, saying unto them, On this wise shall you bless the children of Israel, saying unto them, The Lord bless thee, and the Lord keep thee, and the Lord make his face to shine upon thee, and the Lord be gracious unto thee. 
the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace and you will put my name God's name upon your families upon the children of Israel we're grafted in Galatians 3 you will put my name upon the children of Israel and God says I will bless them live under that blessing this week God bless you you're dismissed come on let's sing it one more time you're worthy of